that you made it today, that you made it a priority, that you chose to come and meet with God's people and to worship with God's people. We do have an amazing God, and I'm not so sure what your week has looked like. But the week here at the church, maybe you got some of the news, but we had a toilet that was very rebellious. And it decided to burst a supply tube. And at first, I just thought it was just the youth room. And it was, you know, okay, so the kids can have a swim party. You know, not a big deal. But it did leak. Oh, boy. Down to the downstairs to uh, a little over an inch of water everywhere. And uh, we had some great help. We had some people just kind of roll up their sleeves and kind of clean this up. And, and so things look a little bit different. Even in here, we have a few younger guests because seriously, um, there's uh, a lot of humidifiers and things are cleaning up. But you know what? No matter what week you had, no matter how confusing, how disappointing, how uh, wonderful it's been. Our hope more than anything is that today you've come with a full heart. That you've sensed that, that I need some time with God, with God's people. I hope that. You know, we're a community that meets every Sunday. We do worship. We love our worship time. We love to pray. We love to adore our God. We love to open up His Word and be able to hear maybe just what God has for you today. You know, we've been spending some time in the Gospel of John. And in that Gospel, we're just finding out that John is loving telling the story of how, well, Jesus made an impact in his life. This apostle was a feisty apostle. He focused on Jesus. He focused on his loving Savior who became flesh and showed us who God is and what God looks like because Jesus is God. You're going to find out that he wrote this near the end of his life. There had already been three Gospels written, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But John was, well, he was called the beloved apostle. He loved our Lord. Not like the other guys didn't love our Lord, but there was just something about John. And he desired deeply to share, well, his perspective. Who Jesus was to him. And so all the way through, from the very, very beginning, you're going to hear shouts from this apostle, now very old, near his deathbed, gone through all kinds of different suffering, been a pastor for over 30 years. But he says, I want to. Maybe the last thing that I do, or almost the last thing I do, I want everyone to understand who my Jesus is. John was a man's man. He was a fisherman. He was someone that you could look at and, and maybe even wonder, why would this guy be so affectionate toward a rabbi? I mean, you know those learned people. You know, they're a little bit um, um, less outdoorsy. 
How about that? You know? And, and uh, they probably only shave once a week. You know, you know I, I mean, what can you do with folks like that? But not so. John, he loved God. And he loved Jesus. We spent some time a few weeks back looking at John the baptizer. Very different than John the apostle, although very close in age. And as they kind of began different ministries, John the baptizer was one who had a very limited message. He stayed out in the desert. He ate odd things and looked a little ridiculous at times. But Jesus called his cousin the greatest of all men born of a woman. Oh, what was it? And we saw that humility was something that was part of John the baptizer's character. Last week, we focused on the beginning of Christ's public ministry. How Jesus literally started off. And, and in John, um, there's a lot happening in these first few chapters, all right? But so far, we haven't even finished his first week of ministry. We haven't. We have begun to look at how Jesus started off. Well, he did by being baptized by John the Baptist. And God smiled on his son. And we recognize that, well, some of John's disciples decided, well, I think if you say this is the Messiah and it's the Messiah, I, I think we probably should hang out with the Messiah. Why would we hang out with you, John? And so all of a sudden, some of John's, well, teammates, his friends, his disciples, switched teams. This almost could be a Bears fan going to be a Packers fan. Almost, if we put this in perspective, okay? And I'm really not trying to say, like, the Packers are closer to the Messiah. I, I'm not even going there, okay? But I do think it was radical. You, you don't follow somebody and then switch. But that's what was happening. And Jesus had a very simple approach. He would go to people and he'd say, hey, come and see. Come and hang out with me. Come and see that I have life to give. My words are just not someone who's smart or intelligent. It is, it is words of life. It is the bread of life. I'm going to be the guy, as we're going to see, will offer you some water that will quench your thirst forever. Why don't you come live with me? Why don't you come hang out with me? Why don't you see what happens? And then at a point, and no one knows when that point was, he said, I want you to follow me. I want you to be all in. I want you to hang out with me so that you might learn from me. You might understand my message. And as you live life, as you go out in the marketplace, you become a disciple maker who makes disciples, who makes disciples, who makes disciples. And that's what started. 
That's what we've seen so far. So today we're going to open John. Go to chapter 2. We're going to start there. But we're going to hang out with Jesus some more. We're going to learn more about Jesus and more from Jesus. So if you have your Bibles or flat screens, you can follow along. Or if you don't, uh, the words will be up on the screen. And I've asked Tim Osterhaus to read for us, starting at John chapter 2. The next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem. Jesus replied, My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, Fill the jars with water. When the jars have been filled, he said, Now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tested the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though, of course, the servants knew, he called the bride, bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then, when everyone had ha- has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After the wedding, he went to Capernaum for a few days with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples. Let's pray. Father, we're just going to look into a little bit of your life. It happened in the very, very beginning. When you started public ministry, when you started revealing to others that you were the Messiah, the Son of God, the life giver, the one that all of Israel was looking forward to in order to bring peace and restore the glory of Israel. You did it a different way in a different time frame than they had ever anticipated. Teach us today, God, from this story. In your name, amen. amen. Jesus went to a wedding during the first week of his ministry. Now, as soon as I say wedding, all different images come to your mind. If you were supposedly going to go to a wedding sometime in October, probably some of you would be so very, very excited because it's a wedding of of a couple of our young people, all right? But other weddings, you might hear, I'd say, well, when's the wedding? Are you kidding? Do you know who's playing that day, you know? Or do I have to stay here this long? Or can we leave, like, just before the reception? Can we just go to the reception? Really? And all of a sudden, you know, weddings probably don't have the bang or the understanding today that they might have back in that first century. But what sticks out to me, this is probably three or four days into 
Christ's public ministry. Like, if you're going to start a ministry, say, well, you know what, I'll, I'll go gather some, you know, uh, people, we'll, we'll hear from God during my baptism, and you know what, I think it's probably good we go to a wedding. Say, so like, dude, <laughs> you've got a lot of people to, to, to talk to. You're the Messiah. You've got a message that needs to get out. What do you think you're doing going to a wedding? I mean, if you put it in perspective. But back in that day, Jesus experienced normal cultural activities. And weddings weren't looked at like they are today. Well, at least in our culture. A wedding was about relationships. It was time with family and friends. And it lasted most of the time a week. A week. Say, whoa, those are all those are long vows. No, 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 no. I'm I'm just letting you the whole wedding thing was a little bit different, okay? They literally, for the most part, did the reception all before. Okay? And the very last thing that happened usually was the ceremony. So if this was a week long or five days long or three days long, and, and remember again. There, was no, there were no planes, there were no trains, uh, you know, mules, camels, or you walked. And these were things that just were very normal, and, and really new guests were always arriving, and who even know how long they would stay? But back then, the groom and his family were responsible for the wedding. Now, I hear a few of you right now, the Cronlins you know, and all the Lots family right now, and, and the gardeners going, let's bring this tradition back. This would be awesome. Do you know how many six weddings are going to cost me? Well, back then, wasn't your deal. It was a groom, okay? It was a groom. And their family, it was a big deal. And again, back then too, which probably wouldn't want, but at least it happened, marriages were usually arranged. And the betrothal period lasted from two months to a year. When a person was betrothed, (laughs) sounds nasty, but it's a good thing, all right? But when they were, it would last between, as I said, two months, but What that actually meant, and and we see a little bit of this around Christmas time, because Mary was betrothed to Joseph. It was just as if they were married, but they weren't living together yet. The ceremony hadn't happened, but basically it was, you're going to eventually be a husband and a wife. All right. So this normal thing happened, and, and it could last for two months or maybe up to a year. But when the ceremony actually was going to start, when the time was right, the groom would take all of his groomsmen, they would head off to the home of the bride, they would grab the... No, they would escort the bride out. And the ceremony at, at that moment would say, hey, the, let the party begin. Let the reception start. The good food is going to be served. The wine, it is going to be a time of festivity. And from now until the actual ceremony, we're just going to party. This is unbelievable. We love you people. We love our our new groom and bride and and so on. And, 
And as I said, the celebration eventually ended with the wedding. Now, if you even understand that, you're wondering, Jesus, isn't there a better place for you to be? Son of God, Messiah. All you're going to do is party? You're going to enjoy good food, enjoy good family friends. You're going to hang out even with your disciples. And you really, this is how you're going to spend your time. I think actually this shouts to us. In the very beginning, Jesus spent time with people. And he fit into a culture. And no matter where he was, actually, kingdom activity started. Notice also this, that Jesus had some followers by this time. Those guys, and, and we talked a little bit about this last week, but, but at least probably six guys at this moment. Maybe not totally. But he was already doing life with his posse. Now the mark of a rabbi at this time, um, well, it was a little bit, again, the opposite of what Jesus did. Jesus did the inviting and eventually the choosing. Usually, it would be the opposite if you were sitting at the feet of a rabbi. So Jesus kind of changed everything. But what I would like to say is this, because it's so early in his ministry, um, the 12 have not been chosen yet. Now, Realistically, if you're new to this faith walk and you're new to the Bible and you're new to the Gospels and you read this and you start reading some of the other synoptics and you're going like crazy, how, where does this all fit in? Like, we're such a chronological culture, aren't we? We need to know what happens in a certain way. But to help you out, in the back, in our lobby, I've printed out for you a harmony of the Gospels. Now, all that simply does is if some of you are, are getting into these scriptures and you're just trying to figure out how this all fits together, I've chosen the best harmony. You can take it. It's just, again, a half sheet. I have one right here somewhere to show you. Somewhere. But, but it's a half sheet. Okay, there it is, right there. And all you do, you can stick that in your Bible, and as you read through the Scriptures, it will help you put at least in order a little bit of all that's happening in Christ's life. he got a lot packed in there, okay? So that might be helpful for you. So the 12 haven't been chosen yet. Jesus is very early in his ministry. But as you either read along or focused on the Scripture... One thing actually just jumped out at you. And that is Mary, his mother, had a key role in this wedding. Probably leadership responsibility. And another thing that probably stuck out is that no mention of Joseph. None. Now that doesn't mean that Joseph wasn't around, but it probably does mean. It means that at least this point in Christ's life... Um, the person that he called his heaven or, or his earthly dad was gone. We know for sure at the cross he was gone because he handed his mother over to the care of another disciple. But at least this time, Mary was somewhat in charge. And again, I don't know if we want to give her the, Mary, uh, the, the marriage coordinator title or, or something like that, but 
Again, back then, weddings were so big that even normal people couldn't have enough servants, even if you had servants. So it would be like anything else. All the family friends, all the family who, who loved this couple would roll up their sleeves and be part of this kind of community event. So even the word, as you look at servants and other things like that, they weren't like um, what you would normally think. I, I would call them more friends, all right? But Mary, at this moment, has some responsibility. She goes to Jesus with a problem. The wine ran out before the celebration was over. Big deal, Rick. Go to Trader Joe's and get some more. You know, well, you know, it's even cheap. No big deal. Well, what we don't get is that this was a big deal. It was disastrous. I'll put it that way. Only because hospitality was so huge. It was the family's responsibility, but not only just to make sure that people had a good time, but that they actually thrived. This was really disastrous. It would have stigmatized the couple and the family for life. We don't get that, but it's what would have happened. In fact, it could have even left them open to a lawsuit, technically. So this was a big deal. Now, before I go any further, I just want to say this. We all have different views on alcohol. But let me say that wine was a staple drink in the Middle East. It was something that we would just serve as water, almost. All right? I know some of you are saying, well, oh, maybe we could bring that back, you know? But really, I understand that it's a little bit of a sensitive and, uh, subject, and some people think, well, it was just grape juice or this or that. I, no, it, it, it was wine. And I just want to say this. If you drink wine, no. Um, I would like to say this. The biblical principle is this. Don't let anything control you other than Jesus. All right? It does address drunkenness in the scriptures because you're out of control. That's the deal. Okay? And so I don't care if it's hot rods, if it's wine, If it's Mountain Dew, okay, if it controls you, scriptures say that's not a good thing. That's not a healthy thing in the kingdom, okay? But anyway, here's another thing I need to address. Christ's response to Mary seems odd. I'm pretty sure most of you uh, didn't get this lesson in Sunday school as you grew up, okay? And probably because... It's hard to explain how Jesus responds <laughs> to Mary. It, it just is. And, and I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but I, I do think we need to at least address it. He, he starts off like this. Woman, in some of your translations. Or dear woman. I like dear woman better. I, I'm just letting you know, okay? Um, for any of you young whippersnappers who are here and you want to go home and say, hey, Jesus called his mom woman, I'm just going to do that. Woman! No, no, no. You know, the scriptures sometimes are like emails. Email should be used for confirmation. 
not communication. I just want you to know. Because you, don't, you never hear the, the tone. You don't understand all the things that are going on. So I'm pretty sure Jesus didn't say, woman. More like, woman, woman. And, and we look at that, and as I said, we know he did not call her mom. That, that's what we do know. And I think this probably perhaps highlights the fact, literally, he's making a statement and his relationship has changed. He's distancing himself, I believe at this moment, in a very respectful way from his mom. Almost, if we could, and we don't have all the words, he might have said, in a whisper, refer to me as Messiah from now on. Okay? It wasn't derogatory. It was new. It was new. All right? Secondly, Jesus answers this. He goes, I don't know why you're telling me this. This is not our problem. You know, so they ran out of wine. It's their problem. Woman? No. (laughs) What's going on here? You know? Now, literally, it's an idiom. And it says, what to me, what to you? Again, it sounds like attitude, but this is an idiom used both as a rebuke and as a gentle reminder. Let me say this. Let's just... Say that uh, you've been waiting for a job. You've been filling out applications. You finally get a job. And you go up to your wife. And you say, honey, I got hired and so on. She looks and she, at you and she goes, shut up. No, wait. Just letting you know. Um, like, don't talk anymore. Or it's like, this is so unbelievable. This is so cool. I can't. It doesn't make any sense. All right? It doesn't. And I think, again, what Jesus literally was using an idiom. And almost asking this. Why do you want me to get involved in this matter? Well, I, I, I don't understand this right now. And we don't know the time frame. We don't know how long this lasted. But this last comment to, to Mary, my time has not come. Okay, Mary, I know you think I should glow as Messiah right now. And I know your mother intuition says this is the right time, but I just want you to know, I'm not going to reveal my full messiahship at this moment. Jesus talks about all the time. I am listening to my father. I am not listening to my mother. I am listening to my heavenly father. I am not listening to my earthly authorities. I am so in tune with God. I need to do what God says. God has a timetable for me to reveal my full messiahship, and it's not today. Now, you know what's really cool? Let's get back to the story. Mary knows better than most that Jesus was God, the Messiah. Remember, the only person that knew for sure on the planet that Jesus came a special way, for sure, was Mary, right? 
So above anyone else, Mary knew this person was special, that he was God. And what's so cool is she goes to Jesus with a problem. She didn't go anywhere else. She goes to Jesus. She trusts Jesus. She leaves it in Jesus' hands. And she tells the servants to do whatever Jesus says. The servants, as I shared, are helpers, are friends of the family. Listen to Jesus. And I got to believe there is still some kind of connection. Um, Nazareth was not too far from Cana. Mary had this role. I'm sure the family understood a little bit about Jesus. But Mary, the one in charge, says, hey, listen to my son. Now it's even more amazing as the servants do listen to the son. There's six jars as we read. They all contain between 20 and 30 gallons of water. Remember, they did not have garden hoses and just bring them over and fill these babies up. I don't know if you've ever gone camping and ever hauled water, all right? But a gallon of water, I think, don't Google it at this moment. It's less than 10 pounds, but it's pretty heavy, all right? And you start carrying all this water and saying, well, this doesn't make sense. We're out of wine. Why are we, like, filling up the water? What's going on? The servants trusted Jesus. And when they did, because they obeyed, they experienced God. No one knew what was going on. No one knew what Jesus was going to do. No one understood even what God was going to do. But Jesus told the servants, listen to me. I know it's going to be a lot of work. I know it doesn't make sense. But if you trust me, you're going to see something very few people are ever going to see. I'm just letting you know. And they did. To me, I think this is huge. Don't let this go on the side. I think the, the principle shows us how prayer works. It really does. We go to God. We ask God. We share with God. Hey, there's a problem. There's a situation. There's some things that are heavy on my heart. Then you trust God. Hey, just do whatever Jesus says. I, I don't know what Jesus is going to do. I'm going to trust you, though. You're going to take care of the situation, Jesus, in the way that's right. And then... Sometimes God wants us to obey. He wants us to act. And we don't even understand sometimes, but as we pray and as we trust God, we continue to listen to God's word in our heart, and we obey. We just keep walking. Some of you have been praying a long, long time for a job. God, I don't know. Some of you are hoping that you might have children someday. God, some are in an impossible marriage. Impossible. Hey, God, 
Are you going to act? And you just go on. And you trust and you obey. And then all of a sudden as you obey, as you do what God asks, something happens. You experience God. Maybe not even what you expected. I'm pretty sure the servants didn't expect wine. I'm really sure of that. But what was so cool is that they trusted God they experienced God. Now you look at this little incident in the first week of Christ's public ministry. This miracle opens a curtain. It gives us a glimpse of God's glory. Something that we've already even prayed for and sung here together that we might see and have a glimpse of the Almighty God differently. I pray every time you open up the Bible, I pray every time you come into these doors, I pray that, well, it wasn't, well, I hope you meet some friends, and, and I hope that you were encouraged, but more than that, I hope you have a glimpse of the Almighty God, and it changes you, and it's different. It's just plain different. You see, Jesus turning the water into wine was the first time, according to verse 11, that he revealed his glory. Or what I would like to say is we get our first snapshot, our first little video clip of the Messiah. Wow. Water into wine isn't necessarily the big deal, but it's why God did it, how come God did it. And in the book of John, it's one of the first of eight miracles that happen. And all of them have the same purpose. And that is to reveal who the Messiah is. So you begin and you have to ask, what, what does this reveal about the Messiah? What does this reveal about God? What does this tell us about God? Well, I think the first thing that just is kind of normal and jumps out is, but it shows his genuine care for a family and guests and saved embarrassment. You mean, Rick, that, I mean, just to help a family that maybe didn't plan so well. You know something? God is more concerned about us than we will ever, ever know even when we don't plan well. Do you know that? God cares. In fact, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus blessed that family with really good wine. Now, if you've never bought wine, or you don't go and have a habit of buying wine, or even know what this is, but let's just say it's between 120 and 180 gallons of wine. That, I'm just going to say 150. Now at 150, it comes in at about 580 liters of wine. The best bottle of wine at Trader Joe's, and I looked this up, $132. Okay? Now, the best bottle of wine in the world, not what comes in, you know, at an auction, but that you can just go buy, (laughs) 50. Grand for a liter of wine. All right? 
So I just did the math, and again, you know my strength is not here, so I used some very reliable, you know, calculators or phones. But at today's market value, at the cheap end, Jesus gave them a wedding present of $77,000. And if it was the best wine in the world, which I kind of think if Jesus made wine, it's the best wine in the world. Just go in there, all right? $8,700,000. Oh, my word. Jesus not only just cared, he blessed that family. Surprised them. They never woke up. They never say, hey, I can't believe it, but we're nothing like that. God just did it. You see, miracles are designed to attest the authority of a messenger, the validity of his message. And in John, every time Jesus did a miracle, it was a wonder, a mighty sign that always points to a deeper truth. Always. It reveals God's power and authority over nature today. It was something that couldn't have just happened. It had a ferment. It had to develop. And God is the God over time and substance. Nothing is too hard for God. I think another just simple principle is, you know what? When you hang out with Jesus, when Jesus is part of your life, expect transformation. Unbelievable transformation. Water to wine is unbelievable. But I'm telling you, every time you open up this word, anytime you spend time with God, you will be changed. I guarantee it. Unless you're just reading it because you have to read a verse a day, and if you don't, you know, you're going to go to, I mean, not really, but what I do know is this, is that God's word transforms us. It changes us. If you look back one year, just one year, if you have the same attitude, you have the same heart, you have the same tendency with your generosity, you're serving exactly the same, you love your neighbors exactly the same, or hate your neighbors exactly the same, do you realize you haven't spent time with God? Do you know that? If you're 60 years old and you're getting more crotchety, more arrogant, I'm telling you, I am not even a wizard. You're not spending time with God. You're not. Because what happens to us naturally and normally as we spend time with God, God transforms us. He does. It's so cool. This actually, if you were with us at the end of chapter 1, this is actually a promise to Nathaniel. Remember Nathaniel was so enamored with what, what Jesus did and told him a little bit of, of you know, what had happened to him before. And, and Nathaniel just with great vigor and firm said, you are, you are the rabbi, you are the Messiah. And then Jesus said this, if you think this is good, Nathaniel, you just wait. Nathaniel eventually became one of his disciples. And so Nathaniel didn't even know a couple days later he was going to see 180 gallons of water turned into the best wine in all of Israel. He goes, you just wait. You just wait. In fact, really nothing like this has happened 
if you look at the scriptures, since the days of Elijah or Elisha in 1 Kings and in 2 Kings. This was a big deal. Hundreds and hundreds of years. In fact, the way I'd like to say it is that the time of God's favor is here. This miracle is showing you that something big is happening. It's well, describing a little bit of what the Messiah was doing in Isaiah chapter 61. It's also in Luke 4, and you've read some of that. But on your screen, you'll see Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, and this is a messianic kind of a prediction of what's going on. But the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. For the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn, and this is it, that the time of the Lord's favor is here. The Messiah is come. Things are going to change. Now, Jesus brings God's blessing and wine all the way through the scriptures. Again, whether you drink it or not, is a sign of God's blessing. It's a picture of God's blessing. If you look at even as the messianic kingdom comes to full fruition at the end of Revelation and all the promises, but it's a Jewish wedding feast. And what's really cool is that wine has symbolized the joy and the blessing of that kingdom. And so what Jesus is saying in some ways, he is shouting, he is doing a billboard, and he's saying this, I have come to usher in the kingdom of God. And all these things which you've read about, and the blessing of God and how wine is so huge in that picture, is I have brought it. I am sharing with you the Messiah has come. And look at the results, folks. This is so cool. The disciples believe in him, or I think a better translation, honestly, would be their faith is strengthened. Because we have this idea, at least in the text, okay, well, I believed and and nothing else. No, it's It's a strengthening of the faith that is happening. Remember, the purpose of the gospel is so that all this was written so you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life and the power of his name. This is why John's writing. He is so excited at this time to be able to share with you about Jesus. You know what's cool about these disciples, in my opinion, is that they seem to be on a journey. And that's hope for everyone sitting in our chairs today. They're on a journey. A journey. They had spent time listening to God. They've hung out with God. And now they experience God. And all these promises... Are shouting. They're just shouting. They learned that it's normal for transformation to happen when you hang with Jesus. Let me say it a different way. They found out it's normal that transformation is going to happen if you hang out with Jesus. That's hope. That's hope. 
As we wrap up, I just want to look at a few things. What did we learn about Jesus in the text, and what did we learn? Well, first of all, we learned that Jesus cares about people and their needs. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know if, if this is good news for you, but it's good news for me. Secondly, Jesus reigns. He is our powerful and perfect king. He is worthy to be trusted in every area. That we can totally depend on him. We can ask, we can pray. But realistically, God, it's your timing. I was reading in Isaiah again this last week. You really think differently. <laughs> Sorry, girls. I don't know which one is yours. Hope you don't have a disease. Um, but I know this, is that Jesus reigns. And we can trust him. And that Jesus is big on transformation. You know, if you don't want to change, don't follow Jesus. If you like yourself and you think you have enough wisdom and you can do life without him, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm telling you, life with Jesus makes a difference and changes you. What did we learn? What was modeled for us here in this text? Jesus made a kingdom difference, and wherever he was, a difference was had. I'd say this, go to Jesus when the wine of your life wear, runs out. You know, wine is a picture of abundance. And, and I just kind of look at this story, and, and so many times, so many times, we look at our lives, and sometimes things get stale. Don't run from Jesus. Go to Jesus. Prayer. I think this is one of the most exciting things. Pray like Mary prayed. Ask God. Pour your heart out. Trust God. Keep obeying God. But recognize that God's answers and God's ways and God's timing might not be yours. Also learn that faith grows as we watch God work and experience Him. You see, some people are so absolutely in love with God and confident with God and, and, are, and just trust God in a different way. Don't you love hanging around with people like that instead of the crabby ones, you know? But what, what has happened? Are, are they like really spiritual? No, I'll tell you what they are. They're people that just really walked with God and hung on to God for a whole long time. That's who I want to be and that's who I want to hang out with are those people. And we need to depend on God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you again for giving us a snapshot of who God is and what's important to God. I thank you that, that we're in your plans. I thank you, dear God, that, that you love us and you pursue us. I thank you that you've given us an opportunity to, to be unbelievably 
worshipful because of all that you are. Lord, there's so many things that shout out to us at a simple couple days in your life. Would we learn? Would we hear? Would we respond? In Jesus' name, amen.